This morning, we hear from the Gospel of Luke and hear the story of the resurrection. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and listen across time and space to hear God's wisdom in these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified? and on the third day, rise again. Then they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The good news of Jesus Christ. Like every year, we come to this Easter story not just as one person, but as many different people. Sometimes we come with the witness of Mary, who already knew the promise of the resurrection and just needed a little reminder. Sometimes we come as the disciples who rolled over in bed this morning and thought this news of new life was just silly. And we might come as the disciple Peter, who throughout his life seemed to struggle with his faith, who goes so far as to deny knowing Christ, and yet upon hearing the story, he rushes to the tomb to bear witness to Christ's resurrection. This Easter morning, we want to share some of the ways that we come on this morning. We do so with the hope that in our sharing, 
It may open the pondering of how you come this morning and the possibility of what is within you. So will you join us in prayer? O oh God, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the ways that I find myself coming to this story is as Mary, a devoted disciple and financial benefactor of Jesus's ministry, a true leader and follower of the way. She arrives at Jesus's tomb to anoint his body as was the custom. And she's shocked and dismayed to find the tomb empty. It's only when the mysterious figures at the tomb entrance remind her of Jesus' words promising resurrection that she recalls them herself and that joy begins to edge out her grief. Mary was the first to preach the resurrection. I'm always struck by the line where the angel gently helps her recall that Jesus himself had foretold these events that this knowledge was already lodged in her soul, perhaps clouded out, understandably, by her grief and by the trauma of having witnessed her dear friend's torture and execution. It first made me think about those times when I tell someone that something they asked me to do isn't working, and then they get five words into the explanation of why I was doing it wrong, and suddenly I remember them explaining it to me in the first place, and I know exactly what I'm doing wrong and what I should be doing instead, and I feel like a doofus. <laughs> it's one of those face palms. I knew that moments. And then I wonder if it's more like those times when we find ourselves saying, well, I know intellectually that I have worth, but... I don't really feel it. There are so many things that we learn and take in without ever internalizing them. They stay in our heads and never quite make it to our hearts. The Easter story offers us promises that were always already there. Hope, new life, forgiveness, affirmation, the power of love over death. Jesus' resurrection just serves as a reminder that gets us out of our heads and back into our hearts. The Easter story happens amidst a context of anxiety, fear, political turmoil, violence, uncertainty. So nothing really that we'd possibly be able to relate to after the last two years. In fact, I think that the fear, anxiety, and sense of threat that has characterized much of the past two years for us can so easily and understandably beat down those parts of us that are trying to hold on to who and to whose we are. Those parts that need resurrection in order to make it to tomorrow those parts that need to see death's relative powerlessness in the face of love in order to access the emergency reserves of courage and perseverance. And so, grief-stricken and traumatized, we come to the tomb to find it empty, 
The only thought in our heads is one of incomprehension. And we are met with the simple reminder that resurrection was always already there. That it is already a part of us. That we are already called to preach it, to teach it, and to live it. We thank you, God, for most this amazing day. I come this day oftentimes and always first, just like the disciples who don't make it into the story. They're the ones who heard from Mary and said, it's all silly. It's all an idle tale. And they rolled over in bed because what they knew is that the way life is today is the way life is always going to be. And they had no hope in another possibility. Perhaps not unlike you might feel on this day. Perhaps just like I felt several years ago on my second sailing lesson. As I was learning to sail in the great tumultuous sea of Lake Union, a little tiny lake in downtown Seattle. As I was out there for my second lesson, I again wondered what in the world I was doing here. Why in the world I somehow felt this need to learn how to sail? I mean, I had never liked boats. I don't like being out on the water. I hate things that are tippy. And I hate especially wind. <laughs> the kind of wind we were having that day that was picking up across the little lake and onto our little boat on my second lesson. The wind filled the sail. And suddenly our little boat started to rise up and up above the water. And somebody on our boat started to yell, is this all right? Are you sure this is all right? And the instructor said, it's just fine. We have a 500-pound keel under us. I had no idea what a keel was. I didn't know if it could break or if it could fall off. And as the wind came up again and the boat rose higher, I heard that voice yell out, we're going over. And at that time, I recognized that voice. It was mine. And have any of you ever been that scared? For some of us, we could say this morning, we are that scared right now this morning. Because there's something about our life that has ended or that we know is going to end. And we feel just like I felt a couple of years ago as the boat rised up and I looked down onto those cold waves and I knew I was going to topple over, get tangled up in those lines and drown, that my second sailing lesson would be my last. 
You know, it doesn't matter if you're six years old, if you're 60 years old, or if you're 86 years old. You all know how hard these times of life are when something is ending. You know you're going to be going away to school this fall. You know that you're sitting here this morning and all you know is how much you miss. That person who died, you don't know how to go on after that. You're sitting here this morning or you've been there in that place when a beloved relationship has ended. You've lost a job. You've lost something about how life was and about how and who you were. And you can't see your way to any kind of new life that people talk to you about or say is out there for you. I don't know how it is for you, but I know for me that new life doesn't just come in a sunrise on Easter morning. It takes its own time. And it took a long time for me in the letting go of a life that was and the opening to a new life that might be. A lot more like it was there for Jesus on the cross in the very first word of resurrection. When Jesus said, yes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is this it? And the last word from the cross, into your hands, into your hands, God, into all of that great unknowing, I commend my spirit. Last Saturday, I signed up for the community boating program in Boston. <laughs> it's my first day out on this little tiny 14-foot boat. And as I must tell you, as I walked down there last week onto that dock, I was nervous. I was just as scared and nervous as I was several years ago in Seattle, learning how to sail. My instructor, 19-year-old John, was not nervous. He knew, Peter, you have what it takes. Just go out there, do some tacks, do some jibes. He put me in the little boat and he kicked me out into the river. And I'm out there trying to find the tiller and the main sheet. Remember, how in the world do you do this thing? And the wind came up. And the boat rose above the waves. And the rain came up. And as I looked out on the city skyline, I was so back in Seattle several years ago. And... I knew this, it had taken time. It had taken me a long time to find my way to Easter. But in the letting go of a life that was, I looked out onto a new life that is. What a surprise. What a wonder it all is. And I couldn't help but sing, I thank you, God, for most of this amazing day.
For me, when I opened up the passage to the scripture reading for this week, I was caught by Peter's actions in this story. They come at the end, right? But it's that moment where he rushes to the tomb. And I think that his story offers us a lens for thinking about our own lives and those things that we know or feel to be true that we deny and that we ultimately find ourselves racing towards. And I think that might actually be familiar to some of you, if not all of you. I know it has been for me. For some context here, I'll tell you that part of the process for ordination in the United Church of Christ is that you have to write this very long paper describing your faith journey. And they ask you over the course of 30 to 40 pages to describe sort of who you are, where you come from, where you think you're called to go, why you think you're called that, and along the way, interspersed stories about all the people you've met in your journey. And all that work has to be done alongside the rest of the stuff that I do for school. It's a great time, truly. (laughs) But as part of this, it's been really insightful because it's helped me pinpoint moments like this where I see Peter's story and I see a part of myself. I remember uh, about a decade ago now, in a middle school youth group mission trip, we went to Lowndes County, Alabama. And on one of our worship nights in sort of this great big barn kind of space, the service ended and I remained seated there. The worship leaders kept singing and singing. I kept sitting and sitting. My youth pastor, Leslie, came in and she said, Thomas, we have dinner plans, we gotta go. And I said, okay, I'll be there soon. And I kept sitting and sitting and the leaders kept singing and singing. And you might be hearing this and think that this was where Thomas heard this call to enter ministry. It sounded more like that. Um, Indeed, it was the exact opposite for me. It was in that space where I felt that being in church was not the thing for me, where I felt that the things happening in this faith weren't things that I wanted to be a part of. Of course, this didn't mean that I stopped going to church. My family still went, so I went too, and I sort of played through the motions. I said my prayers, talked to people at church, and then we left. But there wasn't any real deeper engagement in that. And in college, this sort of continued. I think I attended, college, I attended church maybe 10 times in college, and it was all for Christmas, Easter, and Ash Wednesday. The Ash Wednesday services there were with my best friend, Emily Rose, and so they were Catholic services. Again, here, it wasn't that I didn't believe any of this. I showed up on the days that seemed to matter most, but there really wasn't much else there. My undergrad is one of the last remaining national liberal arts colleges that requires its students to take courses in biblical studies. And so I thought that was enough, right? For three semesters, I sat in a classroom critically engaging the Bible, writing about the Bible, talking about the Bible. Surely that was enough. I did my part. I'm good to go. In hindsight, I realized that the critical lens of the academy that helped me sort of lead away from religion It's what also brought me back. It was in a course called Imaginary Commonwealths, and it was a class about utopia and dystopia. And for our final presentation, we were all asked to create a utopian society. Without fail, all 28 of us created a religion. And that's always stood out to me because it was in that moment where I think some folks could have found that to be really cynical 
and viewed faith as a way to control people or create some particular worldview, for me, it convinced me of this truth that religion, that this religion, has a place in our lives that is almost intrinsic. I'll fast forward a bit and tell you that even with that understanding, I still stood one foot in, one foot out. Towards the end of fall senior year, I felt this weird pull towards seminary. My advisors were shocked, but supportive. My friends were shocked, but supportive. I was shocked, (laughs) and I needed support. And one day in January, admissions reps from a seminary in Chicago came to Memphis for a conference, and one of my professors arranged for us to meet and just have lunch. And in that conversation, these admissions folks committed to do literally everything for me. They extended their application deadline. They gave me time to get my advisors to write recommendation letters with a 72-hour notice. The seminary said yes. They gave me money. I wrote back and said, yes, I'll come. I'll move to Chicago. And then a week before graduation, I wrote to them and said, actually, I am not going to do that. (laughs) And anyone hearing this is probably like, are you kidding me? Like, we have done everything for you. Like, this path seems pretty clear. And yet... You are denying it. Why are you running? So I worked for a year after undergrad and then still felt this call towards ministry. And even then, as I was applying to divinity schools and I started at Div School in 2019, I was adamant that I was just here, mostly in the MDiv program, because it gave more financial funding, because it had an extra year attached, so that gave me more time to figure out what I wanted to do with life. And I was deeply adamant that I was truly just there to explore the role of religion and politics with a deep eye towards how religion forms national identity. Still not saying no to ministry, but certainly not saying yes. And yet in these past two years, I found myself rushing towards understanding how to craft liturgy, how to sit with folks in difficult times, how to hold space for quiet and just be still, how to present to people the mystery and the truth of this faith, I found myself rushing towards something that I think I've always known to be true, that I tried to deny, that I once pretended I didn't need to accept. And I share this story with you all because I imagine that there's some part of this that might ring true for you too. It might even ring true today that some of you may have shown up here just because it's Easter and you've always shown up to church on Easter. But I think that what's really powerful about Peter's story is that this guy meets Jesus throughout most of his time with Jesus, denies a lot of things about him, denies even knowing him, finds out that he has been resurrected, and he rushes, rushes to the scene, rushes to bear witness. And I hope that some part of this might help you think about your journey, your faith, And those things that you might rush towards too, so that one day you might just exclaim, my God, my God, I thank you for this most amazing day. So we have some questions for you as you ponder the way that resurrection plays in your life. What truths do you already know deep in your soul that you need only be reminded of to live them fully? How might I open my hands in my fear and in my anxiety and open my ways for new life to find me? And what truths have you denied 
that you need to run, rush towards.